Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. It's about the spirit of Christ. Christ is the reason for this season. So I just want to keep going in the message that the Lord gave us next uh, past week. This is part two and final part on the message. I just want to ask you to please bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit is going to uh, find permission and space in our hearts to work things that only Him can do. Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you fill this room with life. We fill this room with anointing and revelation. We don't want to leave this place in the same way we came in. in. Only you can do this work, Holy Spirit. We give you room. Just act. Just move. Just speak into these places that nobody else can speak. Change our mind. Let us have a true repentance experience. We pray that you move and bring revelation. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen and amen. In such a polarized time as this, Many Christians think that we have to take a stand in absolutely every controversial subject. Was the election valid or not? Was the vaccine right to be released now or not? Is really necessary masks? And about all that is going on in this social disruption in every major city? Should we really get into every single controversial subject that the world is presenting us? I have to say that yes and no. Because sometimes there are some subjects that no matter what is your stand, you will not show, testify what Christ expected from us there was an occasion in Luke chapter 12 that two brothers were fighting about an inheritance and the Bible says that they came and said teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me verse 14 but he said to him man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you I like this this text because Jesus did not stand with every single controversial, polarized, you know, subject that was brought to him. Some controversial subjects, no matter what you say, will compromise our testimony. But pastor, should we not have a stance about what's going on in the world and around us? Yes, but always with the Spirit of Christ. Now remember, when I say the expression, Spirit of Christ, I'm not speaking about your inner man or your inner uh, person. I'm not talking about this spiritual aspect. I'm speaking about an attitude, a motive behind your attitude toward others. I'm speaking about the likeness of Christ in every single behavior. We need the spirit of Christ because we're not fighting a battle against people. Or arguments. We're called to be peacemakers among the people. So we need to be careful to not get into every single conflict and quarrel that many times our family brings on. 
that our relatives and siblings wants to see us get into a trap. It's just an ambush. There are battles that we are not called to get into. An example that came, that came to my mind is Josiah, this godly great king of Judah. He died at 37 years old, very young. And the Bible says that he was very uh, godly and, and devout to God. He broke all the idol altars in Judah. And the Bible even described in 2 Chronicles that he, uh, he performed one of the greatest celebrations of Passover that the people of, Israel, of, of the people of Judah ever experienced. However, there was one day that the king of Egypt, his name was Nico or Pharaoh Nico II or the second, he wanted to go and attack the Babylonians. And he was joining forces with another army, the Assyrians. But uh, the scholar says that suddenly we see Josiah coming into that battle. Just, you know, get into a, a, a fight that he was not called or meant to be. Second Chronicles chapter 35 says that uh, when the, the, the king of Egypt just asked for a passage, through Judah, Josiah said, no, you're not going to get into here. And, and it's interesting because usually the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, is a symbol of the enemy. But in this case, he was even like the instrument of God. He says, man, don't mess up with that. You don't need to get into this battle. You are not meant to be here. Maybe I'm being used by God. Second Chronicles chapter 35, verse 22. Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight with him. He did not listen to the words of Nico from the mouth of God, but came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. Like he got into a fight that he was not meant to be. And you know the result? There was this wandering uh, arrow that just hit him in the middle of the battle, and he died. Such a waste. He died by chance because he got into a fight that he was not meant to be. This is a warning for us. Let me say something. There are some fights and battles, and now that you probably have family around you during this season, they are just like provoking fights. They want to see you getting into this ambush. Don't get in every single fight. But pastor, if we're not meant to argue, what should be our response to the most controversial subjects that the world is debating now? We have to have a stand. What is our answer? Our answer is always the spirit of Christ. I want to hear a good amen in the house because I hope you are getting what I'm saying here. Look, we don't need to get into a fight, but if there is a stand we have, it is always with the Spirit of Christ. Let me explain this even better right now. There is this perfect answer and question that Jesus brought to a very controversial moment. There was a woman caught in the plain act of adultery. She was probably during the night involved in a sexual affair. And now these religious leaders caught her on the act and brought her in front of Jesus. And, and, and it's, it's very strange. I don't know if you ever um, read about it, but this, it's almost like a parenthesis 
in the narrative of John, of the Gospel of John. So John is following up a, a chronological description of the last days of Jesus. But suddenly we have these, uh, these brackets, this story that is inserted in the middle in John chapter 8. It's a beautiful portrait. Some scholars even believe that this was not part of the original script. However, this beautiful story portrays so perfectly what the gospel is meant to be that they were looking for the, the place and they found in John chapter 8 the best place to put. And we know this story. They start to accuse and accuse and get ready to stone the woman. And they, they ask Jesus, Jesus, the law says such and such. We should stone and kill this woman. What is your stance? What is your statement about that? And we know the answer. As they continue to ask him, verse 7 of John chapter 8, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Verse 8. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Jesus did not ask, Are you not compassionate toward this woman? Where is your mercy? As a religious person, you're supposed to be merciful toward this woman. Jesus didn't bring this question because if that was the case, some Pharisees, they will feel, maybe if I actually have, I am worth to stone this woman, but today I will not stone her. And maybe the Pharisees' disciples, the, the students of those uh, uh, rabbis, will look to their masters and they're going to say, my master is so merciful, he's so pitiful toward this woman. Oh, I'm so glad that I followed this, uh, this master. But no, Jesus didn't ask that. Jesus just asked, don't you have a sin? In other words, the one that does not have a sin, throw the first stone. And the, it's so perfect because the Bible says in verse 9, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, which is supposed to happen. Usually, old people are meant to be more aware of themselves more mature and conscious about themselves, which is supposed to be like that. So one by one, they were leaving, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So I can, I can imagine the, the students and the disciples of those religious rabbis just like wondering, what in the world my master is leaving this place? And now nobody is in good stand. Nobody has... You know, the, the pride of uh, self-righteousness, it's perfect. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. In the moments of controversy and people ask us an answer, our answer should always be in, clothed with the spirit of Christ. The woman did not plan to be before Jesus on that morning, on that moment. She had no idea that will happen with her. Some people might be watching me and wondering why I'm even listening and watching into this message. 
Maybe you joined us this morning just because you had nothing to do in your house. But when we are before the Lord, he always embraced us and welcomed us, saying, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. It's, it's beautiful because this is the spirit of Christ. This is the attitude, the practice of the spirit of Christ. We're not on a mission to condemn the world. We're not here to point fingers to the world. We are here to continue the mission that Jesus started. John chapter 3, 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If you remember the context, one verse before that is the most famous verse in the Bible. Because God so loved the world that sent his son. With the mission not to condemn, not to stone the sinner, to kill the sinner, but to save through the spirit of grace, the spirit of Christ. Our spirit is not a spirit of condemnation. It's always the spirit of forgiveness. Forgiveness for whom? To all sinners. No matter what is the sins or mistakes, you are not here when I affirm that. Approving immorality, adultery, violence. In the family of God, we don't have a standard on that things. We don't accept these things. But we know that in the family of God, there are people that had committed the most outrageous of sins. But now they are forgiven and transformed by the grace of God. Now, while we are here, we are just continuing this mission. What the world needs is not a new, a new law, a new regulation. The world needs the gospel. The world needs the message that saves and transforms from inside out. The world needs the message of forgiveness. You're going to say, Pastor, but, you know, if people know they are already forgiven, they will abuse of grace. Try it out. Try to talk with a person that has a sinful lifestyle and sometimes is proud of that lifestyle that they are forgiven. You know what that might say to you? Why are you saying that I'm forgiven when I never thought that I'm even doing something wrong? Because implied together with the message of grace and the message of forgiveness, there is the clear message that we are sinners and we need a savior. Let's not expect the world to conform to our standards and let us not accept the world's standards to mold us. The lost world needs the gospel, not new laws and regulations. By the way, the world already have laws against uh, rape and murderer and violence. The laws are already there. But are the laws powerful to change the people, to change the world? No. The laws are there, but they don't have this power. There are pretty good laws in the world already. But there's only one power that changes people from inside out. It is the message of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, 16, Paul affirms, and I believe it's so true, that only the gospel is the power of God. 
for salvation, transformation, change of the world. The world does not need one more lawmaker, a new a regulator to point fingers. The world needs repentance. Say with me, repentance. Now, the word repentance here is the word that is in Greek, metanoia. That is nothing else than change your mind. You used to think about God in one way, but now you have a different perspective, a different way to think about God. You have repentance means you used to believe in God in a such way, but now you don't think like that anymore. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's, that's God's mission right now. He wants people to see his goodness and grace and not his wrath and condemnation and judgment. Because all this wrath, judgment, and, and curses are upon Jesus 2,000 years ago. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Now let's, let's remind ourselves about John chapter 8. The woman was caught in an act of adultery, immorality. There was no question she was a, a sinner. That, that she was destroying probably a relationship of a marriage. She was doing something wrong. But when she found the spirit of Christ, the grace, the forgiveness, not condemnation, she could endure and stand and receive the power to walk in the newness of life. That's why Jesus, as, as he says, neither do I condemn you. He follows up saying, go now and sin no more. Because within the power of grace, and in and, and the spirit of Christ, there is the power to stand against sin. So I heard this in Brazil while I was there that, you know, preaching about grace is very dangerous. Because people might use the message of grace as an excuse for debauchery in a, a licentious life, in a life, you know, involving sin. If people use the grace for that, it's because they never got grace at all. Because the grace is the power to stand against a sinful life. You are caught into a mud and, and dirt of sin. And you, you are suffocated. And now finally you have the robe of grace pulling you out of that mud, of that pit. You're not going to just use the robe and, you know, uh, nod on your neck and cure yourself. There's no such a thing. You're going to get out of that. But pastor... We're not against rape, divorce, violence, homosexuality, addiction. Absolutely, we are against these things. But our mission is not moralism. We're against those things, but not against those that are caught in slavery on those things. We're not against the rapist, those that face divorce, 
those that are still caught up into a, a mad, wrecked, and broken relationship that even has violence. We're not against homosexuals or people that are in addiction problems right now. We're against those things again, but we act with a spirit of forgiveness and mercy. How I cry out that our church be known in the city as a church that walks, that express, that display and shine brighter and brighter the spirit of Christ. But pastor, if this is the case, it is pretty easy to be saved. It's just a matter of repenting and it's done. It can't be that easy. Only those that recognize they are sinners and wicked needs repentance. Those that see themselves as righteous don't need mercy. They don't need forgiveness. The question is, is all sinners out there aware, conscious that they need forgiveness? No. Most of them actually in a sinful lifestyle, like Paul says in Romans, they are they are. Proud of their sinful lifestyle. They want to stay on that. They don't see any problem on that. They pay their taxes. They are just, you know, destroying their own bodies. They are not harming anyone. Pastor, but should we not point sin and wickedness? One day, a small town of Samaritans. Close their hearts to Jesus. They said, no, you won't pass by us. Jesus was just asking for a stay during the night because he was heading toward Jerusalem. And he had to pass through this small village of Samaritans. And they said, no way, you won't stay here. We do not accept you. And this is what the Bible says in Luke chapter 9. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Come on, Jesus, they reject you. Like, I, I, I can understand James and John here. I feel mad when people reject this amazing message. I really get mad and sometimes vengeful. And I just want to call fire to go down. Why not? That will prove a lot of things with just a little bit of fire. That will prove a lot of things. Verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them. Some scripts, and if you have your Bible open there as a footnote, you're going to see that some manuscripts have in verse 55. But you do not know what spirit you are of. For the Son of Man... Came not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. I love this footnote. Because again, these express the spirit of Christ. Come on, James and John. Don't you know you have another spirit? I am of another spirit. I'm not here to destroy them. You might feel vengeful and, you know, unfair and, and frustrated and uh, resentful. But don't act under this spirit. Act in the spirit of Christ, the spirit of forgiveness. What is that spirit? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us. Come on, somebody. Say a good amen. Just God, God decided to show his love for us. 
while we were seeking, while we were very religious, while we were paying our tributes and religiousness uh, um, processions and, and doing our sacrifices and, and paying, you know, our vows or no, 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 while we were still sinners. I just want to hear a good amen in the house because this is such a powerful expression of the spirit of Christ. Why we were still enemy against God, speaking bad, you know, bad-mouthing the things of God and the people of God. Christ died for us. What is the spirit of Christ? What is the spirit of Christ? Let's remember Apostle Paul's growth in the spirit of Christ. Let's go back again in the journey of, of Apostle Paul into this high peak in this highest summit of the spirit of christ but the way to the spirit of christ is always downwards in humility it's always downwards in humbleness come on are you guys with me you guys remember we read last week philippians chapter 2 verse 3 to 8 i'm just gonna bring it back again that says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God, verse 6, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but entered himself by taking the form of a servant. Everybody says a form of a servant. Yeah, okay, like Jesus, the God Almighty, the creator, the word that became flesh, he now is a servant? No, no, these, these words don't match. God and servant, uh, they, they, are, they cannot be the same person. Yeah, but they became one person in Christ Jesus. When Christ Jesus came, born of a woman, he took the form of a servant, not of a form of a king, not of a form of an emperor that, you know, imposed and, and, and dictated his authority and mighty power over us. He came as a servant and with a towel in his lamp, washed his disciples' feet in the form of a servant. And he, the text continues, being born in the likeness of men, verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Again, another word that doesn't match with God, this the obedient and God, like the divine being, the all-powerful, all-existent, forever and ever being that was and is and will be and is to come, he is a servant and now he is obedient. No, this, this, this doesn't match. But in Christ Jesus, obedient and servant came into God to the point of death, even death on a cross. Also, death doesn't match. Number one, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. That, that's the spirit of Christ. What is the spirit of Christ? It is 
in an honest, without pretending, but genuinely counting others more significant than yourselves. Please, I'm not speaking on modesty here. Please, I'm not speaking on the hypocrisy of being diplomatic with people just because you want to, you know, have a good uh, presentation of yourself as a, no, 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 is a genuine perception of yourself. And you know that the members of your life group is better than you as a leader. You're just leading them as a privilege, as an honor position that God, by his grace, gave you an opportunity to lead. Because when you look to them, they are smarter than you. They are better than you. Some are even more beautiful than you, and you agree with that. You know that their hairstyle is better than you. So come on, then you're leading them. I know that I'm here just because of the grace of God. I always are going to use this example. I hope one day I stop to use it. But it's a fact. You probably have even a better English than I have. But I'm preaching to you, and I humbly approach this stage knowing that it's only and solely by the grace of God. Nothing else. I really count you better than I am. But Paul started his journey in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We passed through this last week, but let's remind ourselves. For I am the least of the apostles. Actually, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I do not even count myself equal to the apostles because we live in such a leftist mindset in the world that the idea that somebody can be more handsome than you that can be more uh, more intelligent than you honestly we get so mad that some people are richer than us and we feel bad about that like we feel you know sick that there are an equal, an equal distribution in the world. That's, the, that's who's going to save the world. Let's have an equal distribution of economy and wealth for everybody. And we're suddenly going to be in heaven. Let me tell you something. The countries, the places that tried out that, they are closest to hell instead of heaven. So because, because there's no such healing. This is an inside problem. But pastor... God does not make difference among his children. That's true. But it's good that you yourself place into that humble position of counting others more significant than yourself. That's true. God loves us all in his amazing, limitless, endless love. But it is good that in the spirit of Christ, I genuinely count you. More significant than myself. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And here's the clue. Just empty yourself. Yeah, maybe you have that college degree. You have that formation, that theological background. That you were raised in Christian. But you know what? I still know that I'm unworthy to be called any name, any position. He grew more. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. He grew more in the spirit of Christ. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, I'm not only 
unworthy to be called an apostle. I am the least of my brothers and sisters. I know, I know I am the least. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We learned that there is no better way to express the spirit of Christ than living a life group. With the spirit of Christ, recognizing that my brothers, they are greater than me. I am the least of them all. And now God give me the privilege, the honor, this amazing opportunity even to lead my fellow brothers that are, that are more saints than I am. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. Paul didn't stop there. Paul went deeper and higher in the spirit of Christ, he says to his beloved disciple, Timothy, the grace of our Lord overflow. Everybody says overflow. That's the level of grace I want in our church. That's the level of grace I want your family to experience. I want to see favor, grace, blessings overflowing over your life. And Paul gives us the secret. He says, for me, with the faith and love. That are in Christ Jesus, verse 15, the same is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save, to sozo the sinners whom I am the foremost. Now again, this, this level of the spirit of Christ, I'm so far from that. I, 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 I'm having the revelation, but honestly... Without this, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, I still holding my pride, you know, my, my small little trophies that I feel that I cannot, you know, get rid of and I cannot just forget about it because they're so precious for me. I achieved on my own endeavors without my, my efforts, my dedication, where I will be. But honestly, it's all about the grace of God. Verse 16, but I receive mercy. For this reason that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ, might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. One of the most influential theologians and teachers uh, once wrote A.W. Pink, unless you admit you are a sinner, that has no way to save yourself, you will never experience soteria, salvation, the fullness of salvation, salvation for future, and experience all benefits and blessings of redemption, all earthly ills saved from the penalty, saved from the power, saved from the presence, saved even from the temptations of sin, without the clear awareness of your sinful and powerless state, you never reach this level of grace. Paul got that. And he says, for those that are aware of their limit condition, there is more grace. There is this overflowing of grace. So I am the foremost. I know I am the foremost because I, I want to experience more of this grace. 
I need a savior today. So I cry out to him. I cry out him to, to him to save me from myself, from my temptations. I, I cry out to Jesus to save me from my broken marriage, from this personality that is so complicated and, and, and resentful and bitter. I, I need to be saved from myself. He is a savior only for sinners, without condemnation, without the sense of self-awareness. I know under the light of his grace, not under my little light. Let his light shine in my condition and lead me into a crime for his salvation. Number two, the spirit of Christ never holds a debt or a resentful heart. So as I learn more about this way downwards in, a prof in, the, in the profoundness of the spirit of Christ that Paul grew, there is this strange verse in 2 Timothy verse 14 of chapter 4 that Paul says, now closing his writings to Timothy, this is strange statement. He says, Alexander, the coppersmith, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Come on, Paul. I thought you had the spirit of Christ. I don't know if, if you got what I mean, but it seems very vengeful and resentful when we read such verse. Actually, I heard people using such verse or such statement to people that they felt injustice. They felt uh, unfair uh, in a situation. And they said, the Lord will repay you. But if this is the case, maybe I'm reading wrong. Because if I understood the spirit of Christ, that is the spirit of forgiveness, like Christ. In Luke chapter 23, when he was in an injustice, in an unjust way crucified and killed the bible says there on the cross he cried out father forgive them for they know not what they do but come on we know the whole story of the gospel we know that the pharisees the the romans they were very aware what they were doing they they knew what they were doing which is beautiful because if jesus declared and proclaimed that on the cross it means that even, pay attention to what I'm going to say, our intentional sin. Jesus on the cross labeled it as the sin that we know not what we were doing. Love that. So that's the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ acted in Stephen. You guys remember Stephen in Acts? Chapter 7, he was being stoned by the religious and by the Judaizers. They were after this new religion, this new group, this, this Christ's followers. And they had this radical, passionate uh, evangelist, Stephen. And now being stoned, the Bible says that the Lord himself received him standing in his throne. But in that moment, what was the last word of Stephen? as they were stony Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, 
received my spirit, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against me. And he has said this, he fell his that, that's the spirit of Christ. So what's going on with Paul, with this Alexander? If, I, if that is the spirit of Christ, Stephen, in Christ, Jesus on the cross, where is the spirit of Christ in Paul's statement? Let's go back over there, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's read the whole context. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will... Repay him according to his deeds. Now pay attention. Next verse. Be aware of him, Timothy. Be aware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Now I got it. Paul was not resentful because of his infliction toward himself, but what Alexander was trying to do against the message. And here's where we stand. Because if someone tries something against me, if someone has a different opinion than I have, if someone has a perspective about the politics, about the, the, the disease itself, about everything that is controversial in the world, I don't care. I forgive. I don't count their sins. But if someone is standing against the gospel, this person is harming every man, every person. Because there's only one message that can save the world. It is the message of the gospel. And that, that's the what we stand. And that's where we should really go against anyone, anything that goes against the gospel. Let me prove that to you. Verse 16 affirms, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Really? Everybody gave up on me. Everybody betrayed me. Now, what is the answer of Paul for those that betrayed him as a person? He said, in the spirit of Christ, may it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. That through me, the message might be fully proclaimed. And all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Let me close this message with the last point here. The Spirit of Christ put us a zeal, a passion for the salvation of souls. That will be our, our main focus this next year. Because I want we grow in the Spirit of Christ. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. That is the ultimate display of the spirit of Christ in Paul's life. I say this because this is so far from our reality. Most of you, and I, including myself on this room, and I hope one day, why not, the Lord lead me to this maturity. But honestly, I feel so distant from that. Paul writes, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. I'm not pretending here. I'm not playing politics, being diplomatic and modest. No, my conscience bear witness with me in the Holy Spirit. I say this in the presence of God. I'm not lying. Verse 2, 
that I have great sorrow and a seizing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were anathema, accursed, cut off from Christ, if that would be possible, for the sake of my brothers and my kinsmen according to the flesh. Come on. You never desire that. Even to the closest friend. You did not desire going you to hell in order for somebody else going to heaven. I never. I, I, I just being honest. And I'm very far from that. No matter how much I love someone, uh, honestly, I never got to this point. And don't, and don't be pretentious. Because to get to this level, we have to grow so much in the spirit of Christ. The spirit that is expressed in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeem us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. He took the curse so we could be saved. How did Paul get to that level? How did Paul got to that maturity? Did he discover something that we never would be able to find? Did Paul strive to be like that? Did, did Paul live in a monastery, in a monastery just to, you know, develop and evolve his spirituality in such level? No, Paul simply looked to Jesus. He beheld the Lord. And as he was looking and gazing at the the love and the grace of Jesus Christ more and more. The Bible says that he grew from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. He grew in the spirit of Christ. And as he grew in the revelation of Jesus alone, his likeness, his spirit made Paul state such things. But one thing for sure, we have to allow ourselves permit ourselves that these attributes these, these attitudes of the spirit of Christ grow in our lives let's all stand up please